market corrections, the dot-com boom happens, uh, but it goes all the way back to the beginning. Amazing show. Not gay enough, but an amazing show nevertheless. It, I, I would have liked to see them just turn up the gayness just a little bit. When you see a black hole, run. This is The Gals of Kickdom. Hey everybody, this is Eva Webb. I'm here today without the uh, without the other gals of geekdom. They had other stuff to do. So uh, today it, it's me and uh, our lovely and talented guest, Ren Chandler. So uh, just so everybody knows, I have known Ren uh, pretty much since the beginning of my uh, my transition. Uh, she has been there with me. I think I, I think we met while we were. Uh, we were both duking it out with Comicsgate a uh, long, long time ago. And uh, she's uh, writing an amazing blog about uh, Universal Monsters right now, which is something I was hoping we could touch Hi. on later. Um, actually, I just finished that recently, and I'm moving on to just general horror movies. Well, was it a Halloween thing or just sort of a general interest? It's kind of been messed up because of other stuff, but I'm usually every weekend I do uh, two movies. So um, this week it's... Well, technically, it's like three since I missed last one of last week's reviews. It's um, going to be technically a Universal monster, the Mummy from 2017, the Mummy reboot, like the one with Tom Cruise from from a couple years ago. Well, who's your favorite um, Universal monster? Do you think Frankenstein's monster? I eas- easily, you know, let like Boris Karloff and that that performance. It was like incredible. Like it's it was so it was really really good. Even though it's like been like you know parody it's been like homage but like it's it still holds up a lot i was um i was watching uh, one of the older dracula movies um fairly recently i think it was um it was the bella lugosi dracula it was the one in black and white um and i was i was really kind of amazed at uh, at how well it held up you know like uh, with some of these older movies they look really dated they feel dated you know the black and white uh, thing about it, um, and, and they don't usually hold up, but uh, there are a few of them. Um, like, for example, The Bride of Frankenstein is one of my favorites. Um, right. You can't go wrong with The Wolfman. The, the, those transformations and practical effects they did on that were really neat. Yeah, The Wolfman was pretty good. Have you seen The Werewolf of London? I have. Yeah, it was a lot. Of the, were, the Wolfman was a lot better than that, but it was, it was kind of good. So, are you thinking about the um, the movie that was made in like uh, the nineteen uh, 1990s, or was there an earlier one? Uh, the Werewolf of um, well, The Werewolf of London. That's a nineteen thirty five film. Stars like Henry Hole, Valerie Hobson, I think, um, and uh, Walt, Walt Warner Oland. It's it's what the title says. It's a werewolf, and he's in London, and he kills people. That's cool. That's cool. I was thinking um, American Werewolf in London, which is much yeah, more than that's what I thought, like the John Landis movie. Right. So um, where does your uh, your fascination with um, Universal Monsters and uh, horror films in general come from, do you think? I, I kind of grew up, like when I was growing up, my mom was very adamant I don't watch like stuff that was outside the ratings. Like I couldn't watch, play any games that were above teen or above E for everyone, or I couldn't like uh, watch films that were above like uh, PG or PG-13. So I, I kind of got more into horror movies when I was in high school. I started, you know, I started getting more into movies in general. And then I started reading about all these like great horror movies from, you know, I started reading about, you know, The Thing. I started reading about, uh, you know, 
the Halloween series or, you know. Um, and I also started getting into, um, like, the full-on monster movies, like the Ray Harryhausen stuff, uh, the um, 50s B-movie science fiction. Um, I started getting into that. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. Yeah, when I was a kid, um, my dad used to uh, wake me up at, like, um, I think it was 11.30 on Saturday nights uh, to watch this um it was this this sort of um, it was a late show where, where they'd show like um, uh, these these just really awful uh, campy B level horror movies sort of interspersed with the classics. Um, you get like Frankenstein's monster, uh, but some but by the same token, you're just as likely to get like Young Frankenstein or Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And um, yeah, that that's that was like my formative experience with horror films. I think was uh, was that particular thing. Um, we tried to do it with my little brother, you know, but uh, he just never got into it the same way I did. I don't think. Yeah. I think I saw one. Uh, I think it was, it was one of the zombie movies. I don't remember which one. And uh, yeah, he uh, he he got pretty shaken up by it, and he was like, yeah, no more. You know, but he was like three at the time. You know, so I'm gonna cut him some slack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. So, like, what are, like, some of your favorite horror movies, like, or horror monster movies? Oh, goodness. Um, I really like, um, one, one that I've, I've sort of uh, gotten back into lately has been the um, uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon and some of the, the later incarnations of it. The Shape of Water. I, I adore that movie. It is so pretty. It's like, monster is persecuted, girl helps monster girl gets monster it's so pretty and romantic and, and yeah. beautiful. how about you uh what's what's your uh well no you said what, what your uh, your all-time favorite is what do you think the um the most underappreciated horror movie um is that that you've seen underappreciated yeah well my favorite is sort of also my most underappreciated that is a, a, a 1967 movie called a uh, quater mass in the pet it's um the third series and uh it's it's old like uh the character professor bernard quater i'm sorry i'm gonna go through a little bit of history the professor bernard quater mass debuted in a television series in 1951 and then two other sort of series in 1955 and then 1958 and then that was so successful that they hammer films and had to make them into movies and Quater Mass in the Pit was the third movie. It, it's a great movie. Um, it's very well written. It's incredibly scary. Like uh, the whole film is centered around um, the discovery of this ship and uh, in uh, London while they're constructing London subways and then they find the ship and they have these gigantic like grasshopper like these gigantic insects and. They're already kind of disgusting to look at. And then, like, as the film goes on, like, they just start messing with people. Like, they start giving them bizarre images in their heads. That's interesting. Yeah, and there's, like, a whole thing where it's, like, revealed that the aliens may have inspired, like, a local legend about a devil because they have, like, the devilish appearance of, like, the horns and, and like, the teeth and, like, the tails. And and then it just, like, it's it gets, like, really, really trippy. It's, like, gradually revealed that, you know, humans were essentially genetically engineered from these aliens, and but they installed in us, like, a little plan that, you know, they want us to like become ultra violent and basically wipe out the whole human species so that they could terraform our own planet that's that's absolutely fascinating i have to watch that 
I also recommend uh, Quatermass 2, which was the second movie based on the second serial. That one is more of like uh, like sort of an invasion of the body snatchers, uh, sort of a kind of replacement thriller, but it's, it's still fairly good. Do you watch a lot of, um, a lot of uh, B-horror at all? What horror? Like uh, B-movie horror? Like something that's just oh. sort of low-budget, intentionally bad. I, I, I have a fascination, I think, with, uh, with just um. bad in general I, I, I watch them sometimes if they're like i watch sometimes like japanese b movies like uh like uh, mishiro honda's uh bentango or um like uh frankenstein conquers the world i think those are two um mostly uh, mostly though most of my b movie stuff is from mystery science theater so oh yeah i got a, a really good recommendation a while back when i was looking i was looking for just weird stuff because you know that's that's sort of my bag um, and somebody recommended I watch um, Zebra Man. Have you, have you seen this thing? Uh, it, it's sort of like um, it's a superhero movie, but it's not. It's sort of this self-aware, um, self-critical look at um, these these Japanese superheroes or, or live-action shows from like the the 1980s and the 1990s. Yeah, sort of like think Power Rangers. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was it was really neat. Uh, the, the hero is this, uh, he's a, a high school teacher, I think, and uh, he's just this underdog. He's a cosplayer who finds himself involved with something, with a prophecy that's like way bigger than he is. And uh, he, I was laughing my ass off the, the whole way through. It was amazing. Uh, but it was also kind of profound, you know? <laughs> uh, Zebra Man? Yeah, yeah, Zebra Man. You can find uh, trailers trailers and reviews for it on uh on YouTube, and you know, you wouldn't, you'd think that anything called Zuberman would be just pure garbage, but uh, this one was actually great. I'll make sure to check it out. It sounds very interesting. Definitely, it was um closest thing I could think of. I mean, it's less like Power Rangers and more like maybe Starman, if you remember that one. The John Carpenter movie. No, no, way, way before that. It was this, uh, so Starman was, was this other live-action um, Japanese show that uh, happened in the 1980s. Um, you know, dude comes down from a meteor, I think, and uh, then he battles big monsters, and then he turns back into his mild-mannered earthly persona. Sort of the same deal. Oh, Hmm. Sounds pretty cool. I'll make sure to check it out. It's great if you like that kind of thing. Uh, are you reading anything interesting right now? I well, last time I was on, I talked a bit about um Copra, the C O P R A. I, I remember that. That was great. Yeah, I I am currently at the third volume. I'm working on that a little bit. Um, Copra round three. It's pretty good so far. Um, I remember the first two volumes are very action heavy. Like they were very like you know they're very much um you know traditionally superhero stories and they had a lot of like really intense violence really a lot of really intense scenes it appears like they've kind of slowed down there's like one i've only read like two issues so far but um the second one like kind of features a character going to like a family reunion like just you know enjoying their uh during his uh time with his family um so that's really good i highly recommend the first two um volumes if you haven't checked it out already i also think uh i believe image is also releasing like a week uh monthly um series now i don't know if it's reprints or news stories but it's like the same author it's the same you know same cartoonist same uh you know characters they're currently releasing in comic shops right now and i don't i don't know what issue they're up to though that's exciting i i feel bad because normally i've got like um 
a million things that I've read during the week to talk about, you know, by the time we get here to the point where, where we're recording the podcast. And uh, this week I have read very little because um, I've been so busy just starting to uh, recollect my comic, my old comic book collection that I, I haven't really had much time to, to read a lot like I usually do. Uh-huh. But the good news is that um, I am... 30 percent i think right now towards uh collecting uh all the early daredevil between uh one and 200 like i set out to do and uh and that's exciting i just got it all sort of in these sort of makeshift boxes under my desk right now i need to buy a long box that's what i'm going to do on wednesday gonna take my little uh my little monkey my daughter to the comic book store we're gonna buy her something and i'm gonna load up on supplies it's gonna be amazing that's awesome so so it's like um all the stuff from like the 60s yeah i've I've been uh, i want to i want to do the beginning of the of the series all the way through like uh, the Frank Miller run, you know, the the birth and death and, and rebirth of Electra, you know. Um, yeah. And I want to stop right about there so that I, I can move on to collecting, you know, the later half of the series in Volume 1. And then probably stop there, just sort of periodically, you know, pick up the newer things as I get them. I run to... The Frank Miller run on that, like a really, really long time ago. And I, you know, I had grown up like hearing of Frank Miller, you know, he kind of, you know, he, he hasn't been producing great work past 10 years. So I, I, I was a little trepidatious to go into it, but then I decided to read it and it, it was actually really good. It was um really uh, surprisingly better written than I thought it would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Daredevil during that era um, and the one that came right after it, all the stuff that that happens during that run is just sort of pivotal, I think, to um, the things we think of as Daredevil lore today. Yeah, like it defined the character. Oh, I remember totally. watching like the Netflix series and a lot of that came from the Frank Miller run. Oh, tons of it. I was I was actually during the uh, the Netflix series, I was I was keeping my fingers crossed. I was really hoping they'd do like uh, Daredevil goes to hell and beats beats up Mephisto because they sort of alluded to that in a couple of places, but they never got to it, unfortunately. Yeah. Because that would be that would be the next big run that I'm a huge fan of. You know, during the 90s, you know how uh, Daredevil and uh, one of the Inhuman girls went into uh, to do battle with uh, with Mephisto, who's basically the devil. It was cool. It is mystical. It was uh, story based. It was character based. Um, Watching Daredevil just go through that and watching his mind spin over the weirdness of it, um, it was captivating. <laughs> I don't remember the, the name of, of that particular storyline. Um, I think it's like Face of Fear or something like that, unless I'm thinking of something else. But it was cool. Daredevil's sort of like one of my one of my all-time favorite characters. You know, I, I love the, the limitations of... Um, I like his radar sense and the fact that uh, nobody who writes Daredevil can seem to really explain exactly what his radar sense is. So every time there's a new writer and they need to talk about it, and even sometimes within the same run with the same writer, they'll talk about it three different ways. And, and you get this this idea that, you know, it's, it's intuition or, you know, it's sort of like a second sight or sometimes it's just a rough outline. And, you know, that, that's one of the, the, the ongoing questions, I think, uh, in the whole series. Um, at least for me. The way I always thought about it, like, I remember when I was a kid, I watched this series about people who had uh, weird abilities. And there was this uh, one one kid who could, who was blind, but he had learned, like, you know, the way bats and uh, dolphins do to do echolocation. So he just, like, 
make a sound and then it would go into a, a frequency and then his, he was able to sort of envision what was out there. So that's how I sort of conceived of it for, for a while. Have you read, um, have you read Dreadnought by, uh, what's her name? A- a- April Daniel. It's this book about this, uh, this trans superhero where, uh-huh. uh, where, where she's, she sort of, uh, starts off pre-transition, not even out of the closet yet with, you know, really weird parents. And then she's passed the mantle of this superhero named Dreadnought, which, you know, uh, not only gives her an instant transformation to, you know, her best possible self, but it also, uh, just sort of completely screws her life up. Uh, she has like this power set that I thought was really interesting because, um, she sort of works within like the lattice of reality you know she sees it like these sort of interwoven threads um sort of a microcosm and uh she gets her powers by tugging at these threads which are their their motion their momentum it's four-dimensional it was such a neat power set but it did remind me a lot of uh of daredevil you know the way you imagine the daredevil has to see things you know sort of the lattice of reality there and at least the way i i've always thought of daredevil there's 20 different explanations for you know how the radar sense works <laughs> but it, you know sort of the it sort of overlapped into the same territory dreadnought also um felt a lot like captain marvel to me but without the uh the mechanism to change yourself back um billy batson who's shazam he can transform himself into captain marvel but he, he's never stuck that way. It's never part of who he is. He can always turn back into just uh, a random kid. And, you know, if you're if you're a trans superhero like uh, like Dreadnought and your superpowers and your body image and indeed your whole transition depend on that, why would you want to, ch- you know, change back? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's where they were going with that. Um, yeah. Great book, yeah. by the way. Fantastic book. Both of them were really good. Dreadnought? Yeah. It's like, um, it's another one of those stories where um, it happens in a world where there's like 50 years of history. Um, it's it's not a comic book. I wish it was. In fact, if there's ever a comic book adaptation, uh, I wish they would tap me for it because I could do such an amazing job with the character. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a full-on uh, novel. There's two of them. Uh, and it's just full of such great characters and, and characterizations. And, and the main character is just this, you know, cute superhero, trans girl, lesbian character who is uh, really human. And, and I, I felt like, uh, especially the first one, really just sort of tapped into so much of, of the trans experience and what we all go through. Things that, that things I've gone through, probably things that you've gone through, things that are just sort of universal, sort of the scope of this this world we're all sort of living in yeah for example um you know when she first gets her transformation from this other superhero she um she goes home and her parents don't recognize her and then her her dad's trying to spend half the book just trying to fix her and put her back to the way she was but she doesn't want to change you know and that that was i thought that was really sort of typical and you know, she's, she's exactly and you know the the character's like 15 years old and her parents are not okay with what she turned into uh even yeah. into the second book they just don't get it they don't understand and uh, i think i think we've all been through some degree of that it sounds really good i'll have to check it out it's i think i briefly came across it when i was doing something when i was looking up something else and then but i'll look more into it um it was one of those books where like every every trans comic book nerd i've, I've ever known has said oh my god you have to read this book 
And now I'm sort of joining the chorus on that because it's fantastic. Awesome. So what else is going on with you? No, I, I just, well, I just wanted to give another book. I, um, I actually just recently got um, a comic called um, Ad Astra in Africa. It's by uh, Barry Windsor Smith. It was originally going to be a, of all things, a storm story. Um, he apparently did like a run of storm with uh, Chris Claremont in the 90s. So this was like going to be like, I think the last story, but then uh, Marvel didn't like how it ended. So he decided to just make it into his, um, he, he had a, like a new gods homage called the young gods and friends that he was doing, um, independently. And then he decided yes. to slot it into that one. This sounds like fun. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say if Erin was here, uh, she would, she would chime in with, uh, probably some just brilliant and obscure piece of knowledge about the new gods, because that's her her thing god i miss her it's yeah not, it's not the same doing the podcast without them yeah. but uh but hopefully they're back either next week or the week after and uh that'll be fun what's your favorite movie ever made my favorite movie is 2001 a space odyssey really yeah i suppose it's kind of a horror movie the third act is kind of a horror movie but it, yeah my favorite movie is 2001 awesome what is it about that one that uh that gets you i'm i'm really into space i actually have a um Got a bachelor's in astronomy, so I'm really into space. I'm really into space exploration. That's sort of the big thing. Right on. Do you find uh, that you like? Um, are you a Star Wars? Are you a Star Trek fan? Um, I I like Star Trek. Yeah, I like the few episodes I've seen throughout each of the series. Um, I I've seen some of the. I've seen mostly the the original series. I've seen some Next Generation. Um, I saw. A really good episode of Deep Space Nine, uh, far beyond the stars I really like. Yes, I loved Deep Space Nine. It was fun. Huge fan, I think, of um, of New Trek. You know, like Discovery and Lower Decks and just, God, all of it. You know, get me started on Star Trek and I will watch the whole thing from start to finish. There's a couple of tracks I don't like, like... Uh, Enterprise is not my favorite. Voyager is not my favorite, but I guess I it's those. fun. They're okay. No, Voyager has these, uh, is overall not a very good show, I don't think. Just mm-hmm. objectively, 99% of it is just pure garbage. But it's got these really weird moments of, of salience where the writing is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then it goes back to being garbage. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing. Um, and um, Enterprise started off really strong, but it sort of petered away and I thought the whole thing with the Zindi was dumb, you know, creating an allegory or 9-11, rather. And that was just totally unnecessary, I thought. But uh, Deep Space Nine was great. Next Generation uh, was great after the second season. Discovery uh, gets a lot of shit, but that is a banging show. If you haven't seen it, it's uh, it's totally worth your time. I have the uh, CBS All Access. I, I still need to watch like all these Star Trek shows. And I've also got CBS All Access just to watch the new Twilight Zone series. Oh, yeah, that's why I got it. Absolutely. I absolutely love the new Twilight Zone. It really feels like, like they get it more so than previous incarnations of the show. Yeah, I, re- I really like the most recent season. I felt like that was the, the first season I had. Also, some really good episodes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, um, so I'm not a big fan of the weekly format, you know, where, you know, they, they film the whole season and then they release it week by week by week. But with yeah. the Twilight think just given the episodic format of it, I, I think that works so much better than it does on a show like Discovery or The Boys or 
or whatever. Um, oh, speaking of which, um, they closed off the boys season two. Have you been watching that one? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I need to see it. I hear I didn't really like what I heard about the comics. So I kind of avoided it, but I heard the show is really good. Well, if it helps, the show is a lot better than the comic. It's it was kind of gory and sort of predictable. The show is also gory and also predictable in all the same ways, but uh, they do a lot of um, they get really creative with the storyline. So if you've read the comic all the way through, um, you are going to be surprised by everything they're doing in the show. They really keep you on your toes. Ah. And we don't we don't even know how it's going to end right now. We can sort of see the um, the mechanics of what what was going on in the comic at about the same time. And we can sort of see the politics are about the same, but we don't know what's going to happen. I really love that. I, I like the the surprise of it. Yeah, they had this one character who was a superhero called Stormfront, who was a Nazi. But what was interesting about that was that um, in the comic book, Stormfront was this this big old brawny guy, and um, in the TV show, it's it's this the girl, and uh, she gets together with um, with Homelander, who's this Superman allegory, and uh, it does not work out. Bad things happen. And we'll, we'll just leave it there because you haven't seen it. I don't want to give it away. But uh, it was it was just so uh, weird because of the way it happened. The way, if that would have happened in the comic book, uh, that would have really just created so many questions. And the way it happened in the TV show, just considering the relationship with the uh, with with you know the gender swap that they did. It's got potential, I think, to uh, to get really, really icky. Yeah. <laughs> the show's kind of like that. Um, they, they, they really just sort of um, take your expectations for what a superhero show is, and they turn it upside down, which is what you expect them to do. Um, but they're not doing it in a, in a really uh, easy or predictable way. The characterizations are amazing. Huh. I'll, I'll definitely see it now. I it's always on my Amazon Prime, so I'll be able to find it. So. Have you seen um, Utopia? Another one. Another one on Peacock. The 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 like the NBC Universal streaming. So, well, at least for me, it's uh, it's on Amazon. Oh, I must be thinking about something different. There was a. Okay, yeah, that's the one with the uh, John Cusack. And yeah, and John Cusack is this uh, sort of Lex Luthor type. And it has a. I read like an interview with him uh, like a couple of days ago. Apparently it involves a pandemic, so uh, oh, awkward timing. And the whole thing's based around uh, this weird, uh, it's almost a prophecy that comes down through a comic book. Oh. Uh, so so there, there was this first comic book called Dystopia, and yeah. uh, it supposedly predicted a whole lot of things, just all kinds of weird stuff about diseases and political events and stuff like that that was going to happen in the world. And uh, But there was a second volume called Utopia, uh, which had all the same characters in it, uh, but it was never published. So, like these, uh, the main characters of the show, they find the the unpublished art from Utopia, uh-huh. and uh, that's that's when the chaos starts. Like that old like uh, prophecy in the form of comic. I was interested in checking it out. I've sort of been, I, I've sort of been treadmilling like old shows. I've been rewatching a lot. Um, like just before I came on, I'm actually I was watching a bit of um. Frasier, a little bit of rewatching it. Um, but um, yeah, I need some new shows to kind of reinvigorate everything. Have you seen uh, Raised by Wolves yet? No, I've heard of it though. So, did you like um, like Alien and and Blade Runner and and those those types of things? Is, is that something you're? Oh, I love those movies. Right on. 
Well, if you like to dance, uh, Raised by Wolves is sort of, uh, it's it's totally not what you would expect it to be. It's the story of these uh, this society in the future mm-hmm. where uh, the religious zealots uh, just totally, you know, go out of control and they destroy the whole world. And then there's this group of, uh, of atheists that puts these robots together. And uh, the robots are sent off to this, this habitable world in the Kepler system. And their job is to raise children, you know. And um, it's cool because the robots are weird and quirky and emotional and strange. Just they're, they're that much removed and, and they're, they're ever so much off from, um, you know, what you would expect them to be. Um, supporting the robot trope expectation there. Um, but then you've got the religious fanatics, which show up on the same planet years later, and uh, they, they go into conflict with, with the robots. But at the same time, there's this weird metaphysical presence that we can't explain within the show. And the whole thing sort of towards the end of the first season really starts to feel like biblical allegory in sort of a science fiction universe. It's really weird. It's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen on television. But it's absolutely captivating. Um, it's done by um, Ridley Scott, the, the director. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did Aliens and Blade Runner and, and all that. Um, absolutely fantastic show. Totally worth watching. Is it another Amazon show or? That one's on uh, HBO Max, I think. Ah, uh, okay, that's. I've been trying to get into HBO or since I learned my my sister apparently has an account, so I've been trying to I've been trying to get more into HBO stuff. Um, have you seen a Lovecraft Country? Oh my God, I love that show. Lovecraft Country is so much fun. Have, have you um? Did you see the uh, the last episode of the season? Uh, not yet. I've um just have some catching up to do. It's. I, I love the way it's sort of this, this study of magic and historic racism and and the, the lies we tell ourselves to get by, you know? Oh, and yeah. It's such a great show. I really loved uh, the book version, and I, I thought they did the adaptation well on this. Nice. Yeah, it's it's really neat. Uh, and it's, it's really... Um, the, the further you go, the more self-aware it gets. So, you know, it's it's very, um, very meta. I, I just love it. I love everything about that show. I wish we had more shows like Lovecraft Country that did that, you know. Definitely. Um, I think I have, uh, apparently, um, I was reading about a, a, a book, uh, another sort of uh, African-American riff on Lovecraft. It was called The Ballad of Black Tom. Takes um. One of Lovecraft's most um, xenophobic stories, the horrid Red Hook, and then sort of recontextualizes it from a from another uh, perspective. I have not heard about that one. Yeah, I was um, thinking of trying to figure out if I should get like a, the physical copy of the book or like a like a Kindle version. Or so I was looking through like a bunch of sources. Apparently, they're making that for um, AMC. They're developing it for uh, the AMC oh, channel. Oh, so, so that's that's going to be a, a television show. That's great. AMC is amazing. Yeah. Their shows are consistently good. I uh, I am a huge fan of like uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. They are uh, they're interesting. I really liked uh, Mad Men. Or like I, it took me a while to get into it, but then I once I got into the flow of it, I really came to enjoy it. Right on. Yeah. The uh, oh boy, the sexism in that show is intense. Yeah. <laughs> it starts and it's it's pretty much ongoing through the whole thing. The uh, the characters, uh, at least, you know, Don Draper and, and those guys, you know, they, they really do seem irredeemable. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, pretty much. I thought Mad Men was cool, though, because of, uh, you know, it is actually a, a pretty accurate look, I think, at, uh, at the uh, the advertising industry. Have you seen um, Halton Catch Fire? I see it sometimes on Netflix. I've considered watching it. It's really neat. It's sort of like um, all the crazy stuff that, that, that happens in Silicon Valley. Uh, all the crazy people, the the startups, the fast one, the fast money, the uh, market corrections, the dot-com boom happens. Uh, but it goes all the way back to the beginning. Amazing show. Not gay enough, but an amazing show nevertheless. It, I, I would have liked to see them just turn up the gayness just a little bit. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, I mean, if you're into, like, watching the world uh, just sort of change uh, with computer science, it's it's very computer science-y. Uh, a lot of the, the computer science stuff in it, it's accurate, uh, especially the first season. After the first season, they get weird with the timeline. You know, they, they reference things that, you know, didn't happen until a lot later, you know, um, but they sort of had to to keep the narrative going. But uh, that that first season is is straight up history. That happened. Um, maybe not with those characters, but uh, that that kind of thing happened. You know, like the fight with IBM and uh, the first PC, and you know, getting the BIOS different and, and stuff like that. It's uh, it's great, and it's full of twists and turns. Um, it's good drama. That sounds incredibly interesting. I I I. I... From like what I've read about it, see, like something I would watch. I love um, period piece stuff, and I'm when I do like um, the occasional Silicon Valley uh, program. I love shows that are that are about code and programming and software engineering. Um, that's what I do professionally, um, and it's it's interesting to uh, to see that stuff represented, usually badly, uh, on television. You know, <laughs> but uh, in the case of um, of um, I, I keep wanting to call it Pirates of Silicon Valley, but it wasn't that. It was something else. That, that was a different thing entirely. Um, but in the case of Hold and Catch Fire, um, it, there's some really good computer science in there, you know, like where they sit around and, uh, you know, they ask themselves, well, nobody's done this before. What does this look like? And um, they decide on both possible things, uh-huh. you know, and they they break off and they do both possible things. And you can sort of see how, how that all just ends up in the world we live in, you know? I'll have to check it out now. It sounds really interesting. Definitely. There are a lot of good shows about computer stuff. I, I think I think people think um, computers are boring, you know, just in general. I don't. I think they're interesting, but that's just me. I like computer science. Um, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I was particularly good but i know a little bit of python like uh my uh school had like this um uh you had like a python course attached to like the general astronomy track so i learned a little bit of how to do that so that's cool python's a fun a fun first language so you went to school for astronomy you were saying right yeah that's neat like uh stars and rotations was there anything that like um you specifically that you wanted to do when you went to school for it or just did, did it sound like it would be a, a fun major um, to start originally with? i wanted to be like an astronomer i wanted to be like an astrophysicist um so that's what i originally went to school for um i um I did a lot of um, volunteering stuff. I did a lot of astronomy stuff. I'm taking a little bit of a break right now. I'm going to try to find work and then build up and see where I want to go from there. That, that sounds exciting. Uh, what, what do you... Okay. Now, I, I know zero about astronomy, but I think it's a fascinating field. Um, what, what do you do like for a job with an astronomy 
degree? Um, I think you get programming jobs like uh, like like I said, you kind of have a basis with like Python and I, I used to work a lot with some um, computers to um, configure telescopes. So I, I do that. Um, you get uh, I think mostly you have to though to get like really good astronomy professional jobs, you have to have a master. So that's one path I might consider in the future. Like just going back and uh, finishing my master, so. That makes sense. Yeah. One avenue I found surprising, uh, science writing, um, a lot of them have only a bachelor, so I think. So you get to write about, like, um, you know, new theories and and stuff like that. Is it like, uh, is it like journalism, or is it like writing papers? Most of what I've seen, it seems more a journalist. I, I know how to write scientific papers, like, that was something that was drilled into our heads over and over, like the structure of a scientific paper. You got, you know, the introduction, research, analysis. It was called IMRAD. That was what it was called in my classes. So, have you have you ever done anything like as uh, as romantic as discovering a star? Uh, my freshman year, um, I want I we tried to photograph a pulsar. We tried to, so like we had this really small telescope. It was like about the size of a, like a, like a blender or like a, so my school was this um, small observatory that's like on this really nicely placed hill. It's like, and you could see like the whole night sky from there. Um, so what we did, um, they have these little poles outside with like, um, with like flat areas to put the telescopes on. You'd attach it, you'd configure it, like you'd, like to configure a telescope, you have to center it on one object that you definitely know what it is. Like, um, so in the middle of the North Pole, if you wanted to configure a telescope, you'd obviously point it to uh, the North Star Polaris, which is like it's it just stays there in the same spot in the sky because I think the Earth's axis points to it. Anyway, so you configure it, and then we were trying to find an op- get enough object to photograph, and um, we searched for a little bit, me and two other people, we searched, um, and then eventually we came across this, uh, no, yeah, yeah, sorry, it was a quasar, it was like a, it was like a sort of this um, bit of a light um, that was in the sky, so we quickly took a bunch of photos, and, and we um, uploaded them. Now, that's um, mostly what I did. Oh, and um, in a junior year, I was also briefly very briefly involved with the exoplanet search group I, I was very briefly involved and then uh i don't know what happened but um i think it just kind of collapsed afterwards but um i remember like uh the process by which you'd uh, like they track like exoplanets with like uh you know they they don't they don't have like official names so it's like the star system followed by the letter and like bunch of numbers afterwards like giuseppe c1918 something, something like that um so, so I imagine, like, when you're looking through telescopes like this, um, they probably spend more time doing it at night than than, than a normal uh, college student would, I imagine. Or, or am I way off? Do you do it with computers? Um, How does it work? My friends, um, a lot of my friends who did it, like, they would stay up a lot longer. Um, I would most like I I would mostly just stay up um up until like 10 or 11 uh, at like latest I remember I stayed up for like, up until like 12 uh, and then I I just um leave um mostly it's just be it's just like midnight the thing is like the star the night sky changes every season so you have like um I, I went to CU Boulder so um there they have um what was called the summer triangle it was um Vega Deneb and um one third star I, I can't I can't remember at the moment uh, but now it appears during the summer and then in the winter which is like right now like you would see a lot more planets like I saw 
Jupiter a few times. I've seen uh, Mars at least once. Um, so did yeah. the uh, the planets ever ever do anything that you just didn't expect them to do? I imagine that you probably had to see something really cool at one point. Uh, there's um, I remember um, there's a star called Antares. It's named that because it's um not Antares means not Aries, as in it's not Mars. So clearly, like the Greek astronomers, they mistook it for Mars at some point. But um, I remember I'd watch it, and then I'd notice like it. It would just sparkle a lot. Like, it would just, like, it would just, like, crackle a little bit. I think it was because of the atmosphere. Sometimes stars do that, but it it was doing it a lot. So it had, like, a greenish color to it. Very uh, distinct image, I remember. It's, uh, I I think we all just sort of have this, uh, this curiosity, you know, about, about space and the stars. And, uh, I imagine studying it would be uh, just a, a, a lot of fun. Something, uh something you could really sink your teeth into like the science of it and how gravity works and the different um you know extraterrestrial bodies that are out there and what we know about them definitely it's cool stuff okay this yeah we sort of pick up where we left off and i'll edit it so it looks nice and everybody looks smart (laughs) (laughs) so do you want so do you want me to go back to like um the kinds of stuff that gets astronomy right. I imagine, like, so, like in my field, computer science, where, um, where, where they talk a lot about computers, but they don't really have any knowledge of computers, like especially around AIs, you know, and stuff like that. Like, uh, for example, there was this one episode of Knight Rider, the revival that came out a few years ago, where uh, there was a polymorphic virus, which wasn't a polymorphic virus, that you know allowed um, allowed the uh, one of the kit machines to uh, to rewrite its own code, which you know isn't a problem if you're talking about uh, about AIs, you know, because that's the whole idea of what an AI is. And, and I was just thinking that I, I have to imagine that uh, you've got to see similar things with um, with your field, you know, physics and astronomy, as often as that comes up in uh, in, in media. So. So where did they get it right? Well, like the two examples I brought up, um, the Martian is a really, really great example. Like it uses um planetary science pretty well. Uh, like um the whole idea of using like of trying to like uh, make uh, potatoes from the soil. I've heard that's a, an idea I've heard proposed before. Um, the stuff at the end with the like the orbital maneuver, like that, that was pretty accurate to, to my knowledge. Um, that's a, that's overall like a very accurate movie, but but still like a, a lot of fun too. So. That helps. Interstellar, which you said was like uh, your favorite movie ever, or like one of your favorite movies. It is in in like my top three favorite movies of all time, Um, just because of how um, absolutely awesome it is. Oh, and for anybody um, tuning in at this point, uh, we accidentally uh, had a technical glitch and we lost a few minutes. So when we're talking about um, things that got brought up before... Um, that's what we're talking about. We're just sort of going over this again. Um, yeah. Okay, so what were you saying, Ren? Uh, inter- okay, interstellar. So interstellar like that had a lot of really um, speculative, but also heavily theorized ideas in science, like um, the black hole. I really like the way it was portrayed. Like, you know, normally you see like a black hole, like, you know, it's like this literal hole and like in space, but 
In actuality, a black hole is just any object whose gravity is... So, I'm going to talk a little bit more about, like, the theory of relativity, which is, like, you know, Einstein's theory, which, like, you know, the universe is, like, uh, basically a space-time sort of curvature. Like, every every um, object that has gravity is sort of sitting in this well. And basically, its gravity is, like, the things that fall into this well. So, um, the idea behind a black hole is that um, light is bent a little bit by the gravity. Like, you know, uh, you have a light beam that comes to, like, say, this was the example Einstein eventually proved it with um, the moon. You have a light source that comes in the moon, and then the gra- it, it kind of bends it can go through the moon, so it kind of bends around it. So the idea of a black hole is that eventually that light bends. The gravity is so strong that light bends into the object. So basically nothing, and you know, nothing is faster than light. So basically nothing can escape from a black hole. So I really like that. It was fascinating how like um, there are different points in the movie where you see how time moves at different at different rates. Uh, oh, yeah. When you're at different points uh, of gravity, like that planet they found within the black hole, you know, he goes down, he's there for, he thinks he's there for, you know, half an hour, but he gets back up and it's been, what, 20 years since he left. Yeah. Um, and that that was fascinating. It's it's almost, it's almost like, you know, you want to you, you want to get this idea, you know, thinking about this, that uh, time travel is space travel. And, and they're almost inextricably linked, you know? Basically, basically. And, like, the idea of, like, you know, that's both general and then special relativity says that t- time is sort of relative to, like, wherever you happen to be standing. Like, a person who's, like, moving on a train experiences time a little bit differently than a person who's standing still. And this whole class about that, like, just explaining, like, the ideas of, like, frames of references, like, uh, the Lorenz factor. Like, anyway, um... Back to Interstellar, I, I really like the way they kind of showed the black hole as like this mass, it's just like a super massive object that just, you know, it just, it has really, really strong gravity. So I have the science of, actually have the science of Interstellar book here. I don't know if I have it like here in my room and might be, I have a bunch of books in um, storage and, and in my garage. Um, and it was written by the guy who um, advised the production, uh, Kip Thorne. And I, he's a, he's a theoretical physicist. Um, he was the first one to come with the idea of wormholes, like the idea of like, you know, uh, these holes that go from one point of space to the other. Um, I, and I was saying like, I saw him speak when at the, um, at the Mackey Auditorium in CU Boulder. Um, he had this excellent lecture about gravitational waves and black holes since that, that had very recently happened the discovery of gravitational waves and then so in the um, interim between when the recording stopped and we when we started doing it again um i i decided to refresh my memory a little bit and i did a little, tiny bit of research um so what i what i said earlier was like it like um i explained einstein's theory of space time is sort of like this large um fabric type thing and like objects of gravity um have uh, are like sort of in or sort of like pressing down on this fabric um and then when they collide they sort of release um ripples and so the purpose of these um ripples is to carry around the energy that these two objects release by um sort of colliding or rather their gravity their spheres sort of coming together and then so it carries out this energy that's what uh, gravitational waves are and so it's just like the energy coming out of that particular kind of a collision and, and you, you were also saying that um you know up until fairly recently it was uh 
it was all theoretical science. They, they hadn't actually uh, seen them directly, but they had observed their effects. A am I correct on that? Um, they had kind of figured they were possible. They just never actually observed them until like a few years ago. Like they finally had like instruments that were so precise, like they could like like the thing is like these are like so very far away. By the time they get around here, like it'll they'll it'll, it'll be like so like the energy would just dissipate. They would be like really really small. But um, they had a telescope that was so sensitive, like they could pick up these little tiny fragments that were left. That's absolutely awesome. That, that is really interesting. Um, I guess that's it uh, for, for our show uh, today. But uh, Ren, I, I really, really appreciate you coming by. This has been absolutely awesome. And um, and thank you for uh, for just providing providing all this, this insight. I do not know a lot of this stuff. Um, do you have anything that... Um, that you want to promote this time? Uh, just uh, thank you for having me on again. I, I have had a lot of fun like the last time, and I hope to do it again soon. Um, you are totally um, welcome to come back, by the way, anytime you want. Very seriously, that's an open offer. So my uh, Twitter handle is at Ren, R-E-N underscore Chandler for, um, I mostly tweet about comics. I Occasionally go into other areas like trans issues, uh, the politics, TV, film, um, very occasionally science, like what I explained here. Um, and uh, I also do movie reviews on my uh, blog, confessionsclutteredmind.blogspot.com or Confessions of a Cluttered Mind. I am doing right now a series of my annual horror reviews. Um, in the next few days, um, I will put up a review of the 2017 Mummy and then... After that will be a review of the 1976 uh, Larry Cohen film uh, Because God Told Me. And well, then, that sounds uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. So. And then uh, I'm going to do the uh, 1972 Wes Craven movie. Uh, um, it, it, it was the very first movie. Um, I, I can't think of the name right now, but I'll it, it'll be reviewed on there. And uh, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, uh, thank you for stopping by, and uh, and that's our show. This has been Gals of Geekdom, Issue 4. For more information about the show, check out our website at www.galsofgeekdom.com. This show was produced by me, the adorable Eva Webb. This week's bumper music was provided by Vans in Japan. Thanks for coming by. See you next time. Oh, and when you do come by, bring candy. <laughs> <laughs>